everybody thanks for joining another episode of food chain presented by perfy today's guest we have dr ryan lowry the ceo of ketogenic.com and the president and co-founder of aspi applied science and performance institute ryan thanks for joining us it's an honor to be here man thank you so much for having me likewise man i'm, I'm super stoked for this one it's great to have you on i've got some fun questions lined up for us today but before we start i'd love for the audience to learn a little bit more about you I grew up small town, was super passionate about playing sports, always loved how to optimize performance. I was never the biggest or fastest guy, but I always just tried to work my hardest, right? But I, so I always had to try and come up with what are ways that I can kind of hack the system or hack my body into performing at an optimal state. Uh, and then when I was uh, just about to enter in high school is when kind of everything changed for me. My my grandmother, who was 62 years old, unexpectedly passed away. And uh, we grew up in a big Italian family where, you know, grandma's like the rock of your entire family. And so it took a big hit on everyone because it took us all by surprise. And uh, she had heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and it just it just shook us to the core. And at that moment, I, I made a very critical decision. I said, I don't want other people to go through the same trauma or experience that we went through as our family. And I think nutrition can play a large role in that. And so I kind of, that set my path for the rest of my life. I went on to college, studied exercise, nutrition, science, got a master's in exercise, nutrition, science, and then ultimately went on to get a PhD in health and human performance with a focus on nutrition and the impact that it has on metabolic disease. And, and still to this day, it's an absolute passion of mine and something that I look forward to studying each and every day. Sorry to hear that, man. It's interesting because we both have a, a story of how loss kind of catapulted us into something new that we do with our career. It sucks, but it's Patrick Bet David always says that, you know, let pain kind of drive you, let it be your fuel. And I think that based on that story, I actually didn't know that. It's interesting because we both share, share that in common. Unfortunately, it's it's pain that and and some type of big event that forces them to go down this this reality. But I think all of us, I know you and I, especially, and hopefully many people who are listening, when you feel that degree of pain, you really set out to say, how can I help truly help other people avoid that same pain that you felt? And and that's what kind of makes the world a beautiful place in some regard. There's something interesting about superhero movies and even you know, like anti-heroes or villains. They all have that same critical moment that either defines them as a hero or they go down the path of being a villain. Good to see that both of us chose the, the right path. Absolutely. I want to kick this off with one of your, your favorite subjects. And I say that as sarcastically as possible. But what do you, what do you see in the, in the keto world with all of these scams and pills and, and those sorts of funky, shady things? It's sad, right? It, it's super sad to see and, and very frustrating in many regards because we know that ketosis is an incredible metabolic state for our bodies. We know the benefits of lowering just even refined carbohydrate consumption. And because of that, keto exploded. And many people came into the space for weight loss and, and they saw so many other benefits with keto that it, it just 
blew up and every everything became so popular. And when that happens, you have a lot of bad apples kind of come in and say, oh, there's this huge market that I can capitalize on who are really looking for help. And that's what you saw with the these keto pills. You even see it with, with some keto products that just throw a keto label on their product and their product is absolute trash. And it's it's frustrating because there are people who are really trying to benefit their lives and improve their lifestyle. And they're looking for that answer. And you see these people like the keto pills that will promise 20 pounds of weight loss in two weeks. And like, that's what someone feels like they want internally. And someone's promising that and they're willing to spend whatever it is to get that because it seems like the easy, easy fix. And unfortunately it's just an absolute scam and it's taken tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people at this point and completely scan them. And you still see it even in the in the food space. You see people that, you know, they, they just don't have well-formulated products. They throw a keto label on it and you're like, dude, you have 10 grams of added sugar in your product. Like, like how, in what form is this keto other than you saying it is? And so it's super frustrating, but honestly, it just comes down to hopefully educating and, and creating an audience that becomes more and more informed to make a decision. Yeah. Two things about that. One, I feel like these keto scams have evolved, like, like just like the super villain of scams is I saw you share it too is that marble or whatever that thing that people put in their belly button and they show that animation of somebody's gut going down. It's getting pretty wild out there. It is. And and the reality is if you think the reason why they can do that is because, and you know, this from, from what you do is like, it's very, very difficult and expensive to make a really good product. And so you don't have the ability to go out and spend a bajillion dollars on, on marketing. But if, if you're a keto pill who it probably costs them to do everything, fill those capsules, put a label on it. It probably costs them less than $2 to make that entire bottle and they're selling it for 90. You have a lot of wiggle room to market and and you have a very, very big margin. So they can pull out these cool animations and throw up these crazy websites. And it's, it's sad because it draws people in, but we, we know it's a, it's an absolute scam. It definitely carries over into CPG and specifically in in food and beverage. You often see in a, Obviously, aside from Perfy, I have an agency called Growthbuster, and I've selected some clients that have, you know, what I call metabolically sound or or at least integrity in their in their nutritional facts panel, their ingredient panel. But I, I've turned down folks who have, you know, hidden maltodextrin in their product and promote themselves as a low carb or keto friendly option when we both know that maltodextrin has a higher glycemic index than table sugar. But do you find any other ingredients like that? I don't want to talk about like specific brands, but specific ingredients maybe that are in products that aren't quite as honest as we would expect. Yeah. And it, it's tough. And you, you really hope, and I tend to lean on this side of like, I, I hope and pray that that companies are trying to do the right thing and maybe they don't know. But to your point, there's companies that do know and they try and hide it in there. They put it underneath different names. One of the ones that was we know was super prevalent was um, a fiber called isomalta oligosaccharide or IMO. There's been some recent changes in how it has to be labeled. But before that, a lot of people were putting that in in high amounts and subtracting it out, trying to calculate net carbohydrates from that. And we're, our lab was actually the one that did the study looking at soluble corn fiber versus isomalta oligosaccharide and finding that IMO actually does have a little bit of a glucose response, enough of a one that could knock you out of ketosis at these higher levels. And so everyone thought it was a fiber and by nature, fiber doesn't 
spike blood glucose and it shouldn't spike blood glucose, but IMO was. And so fortunately now there's some regulations coming about that have allowed people to not label that or, or force people to not label that as a fiber. There's still some people who are calling it a different name, the soluble tapioca fiber. It's like this weird world in which it could be IMO, it could be soluble corn fiber. So hopefully that gets squared up, but that's, that's the other one that I see that's pretty prevalent right now. It's funny you bring up that specific ingredient. I was at Quest Nutrition when they made the change from IMO to soluble corn fiber. And that was the summer of hell because it was the amount of, like, there's, there's pros and cons to building an amazing fan base or community. And Quest fans were so, so diehard Questies. And when we made that change, the amount of hatred that came through every possible direction, we had people dedicated like almost 24 hours a day for like two months on end to put out that fire. And it's it sucks being like that first mover. Sometimes it's an advantage and sometimes you're running through the wall so other, others can walk through. And we took the heat on that. It was a fun but tough time. I remember. And and at that point, it was like it was turning things rock hard and, and it, it, it was just so new. But I, I have so much respect for people who are like that, who make a move that they're truly trying to do the right thing in that it's like, all right, well, if we know IMO spikes blood glucose, we're going to make a change, even though it could disrupt and, and freak out an entire community, but like in the core of saying we're going to do the right thing because the right thing's the right thing. I appreciate that. And it's very, very, very few and far between. Yeah, it was very respectful. I respect how they did it. It was a huge expense. Some of the collateral damage was, it affected me personally. My favorite IMO bar was apple pie. After we switched to soluble corn fiber, it just wasn't quite the same. So to this day, like I I think about that bar, I sometimes text people from Quest like, hey, do you remember the IMO apple pie bar? Never had anything like it since, but it was the right move and definitely a, a move that had integrity. So I want to I want to jump into to sweeteners. We talked a little bit about fibers, keto scams. What are some sweeteners out there that wouldn't technically what I call like integrity sweeteners, like some that maybe are artificial or some that are natural that just aren't that good for you? And what do they do to your gut health or brain health? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the ones you see in in low carb or or zero sugar products or keto, it, it you see these a lot of sugar alcohols like maltitol, sorbitol, like go down your grocery store and go to the sugar-free candy aisle and you're going to see like things that look like sugar-free Jolly Ranchers or Skittles or chocolates or whatever. And you turn them around and you'll definitely see sorbitol or maltitol. And it'll say like, oh, it's it's no net carbs. The reality is it does actually have a glucose response, but probably even worse than that. I, I might even take the blood glucose response, but it destroys, destroys your stomach. Like, I remember the first time I went to, I, I was very new to keto, grabbed a bunch of sugar-free candy from the from the store. And this is 10 years ago. And you go to watch a movie and you don't make it to the second half because you're sitting in the bathroom the the whole time and it's, it's yeah. brutal. So those can be very, very, very troublesome. And then of course, there's artificial sweeteners always make a, a big point of being like, if you can stay away from them, a lot of them to, to what you were saying earlier, the Splendas and and the Equals, 99% of that packet is maltodextrin or dextrose. Besides the artificial component part, they have to mix it with basically sugar in order to make it 
suitable in a packet because the amount of artificial sweetener itself is so, so, so minute. So you have people and and I remember the days when I used to do this, it was like five packets of Splenda and I would put it in something and you're like, that's five grams of just like straight dextrose. And people don't realize that. And so there's new studies now coming out with artificial sweeteners and a lot of it's in animals, but I'm sure it'll start coming out in humans as well about how it can affect possibly the gut microbiome. So it's it's interesting to learn about that and say, you know, if you can opt for more naturally flavored, definitely stay away from those sugar alcohols that I mentioned and focus on things that are just better formulated. I'm in a bunch of keto and low carb groups and almost every day you see somebody that's new in that group post like, I'll use big brand names because I'm cool with dating on them, but you'll see like a Hershey's zero sugar chocolate and on the back, like one of like the second or third ingredients is sorbitol or maltitol. And I'm like, RIP to your stomach and your butt because weird things are going to happen to you and you just don't know it yet. It, it hurts, man. It hurts. It's it's not a fun experience. And the thing that worries me most about that is like you have a lot of new people who come into the space and get like people want alternatives, right? Like it's I think keto would suck if if like you can never eat a piece of chocolate again in your life. So like the, it's why I respect companies who are like making some of these alternatives that are really well formulated. But imagine someone who's new coming in and like the first piece of like guilt-free candy that they have is full of like maltitol and sorbitol. And they're like, this is horrible. And they they associate that with the diet itself or even eating low carb. And then they just go on this carb binge because they had a poorly formulated product. And so that's the part that stinks the most. Speaking about carb carb binge, this actually impacted me over COVID. I would drink a lot of diet sodas. And I was, I was all about, I'm like, oh, zero calorie. I had some you know, coworkers in the past that were, I, I saw them drink diet sodas more than I ever saw them drink water. And they were some of the most fit people I've ever met. But I was drinking a lot of Diet Dr. Pepper early 2020 and throughout 2021. And I had the weirdest cravings for carbs and random foods that I don't even enjoy. Like I'm not a big sweets person. Is there something correlated between artificial sweeteners or uh, was it aspartame and uh, ACE-K that create cravings in the body? It certainly can. And and we're living in a world which is it's really interesting how even your taste buds change when you start to focus more on whole foods and like eat a little bit lower carb is like you realize how sweet these artificial sweeteners are. Like some people, it's just, it's so hyper, it makes some foods so hyper palatable or drinks so hyper palatable. Like imagine if you were to give someone a can of of water and be like, Hey, drink four of these people would be like, after one, it would just be like, all right, I'm, I'm kind of full, but like give them four diet sodas and like, they could knock that down in a day easily because it's so hyper palatable that it can likely lead to overconsumption. So it, it kind of, there is some new data saying it could actually mess up some of the taste receptors because it is so sweet. So it can throw some things off in brain neurochemistry of like your level of sweetness. But that's why I say like, I, I would, if you can try like if you're going from drinking five sodas a day and that's your only option, but like at the end of the day, try and limit a lot of those artificially sweetened beverages as much as humanly possible. And fortunately now there's so many better alternatives yeah. that are, are just way better tasting that are not just better tasting, but better for you. Yeah. That was one of the things with Perfy for me is not to use anything artificial, not to use any colors, artificial colors or anything like that. And 
I was honestly, I, I talk about this a lot. I was most inspired by what Spindrift did in 2016, 2017. And there's another brand out there right now that's uh, more Asian inspired flavors called Sanzo. And I was like, there's carbonated water and there's, there's real fruit juice in here. Really good. And I always thought back then in 2016, what if I had the dollars to try something and add on to this with allulose and stevia and, and monk fruit? And that's exactly what we did. We, we need the allulose and perfume because when you're drinking it, you, you feel a little bit of like a mouth feel as though you're drinking sugar, right? We use the liquid allulose for that. We can't, we, I mean, it's kind of a, not a trade secret or anything, but like the powdered allulose wouldn't work. And that's one of the main goals. And we combine that with sea salt. So to give that extra little like craving effect, not in a shady way. Like I don't want someone drinking 10 of these a day. Most beverage people be like, yeah, drink 10. I don't think that's you know responsible of me to, to want that of people, but there was strategy in the sweeteners selected and the sea salt to create a mouthfeel that is, you know, as palatable as some of the competitors, like the big soda competitors, you know? Huge kudos to you. And I, I, and I would, I would say this with or without you on here is like, it really is very difficult to be disruptive in this category. And Perfy is in, in that, like, if you think about it, there are some things that are out there that have been here before Perfy, where it was like, and I won't, I won't say the name. We all know some of them, but like, it's like, Oh, it's, it's like a watermelon flavor. And, and people will like make jokes that it's like, it tastes like water. That's like sit, sitting next to a watermelon in a fridge. Like it's so light that it's like, I, you're telling me it's watermelon, but like, it smells like there, someone ate a watermelon outside. That's, yeah. that's what it tastes like. This is, it's very, very rare to be able to hit that, that taste piece without having the junk in it. And it's, it's really, really, I'm, I'm super excited. Cause it's a really good thing to be able to have. Cause like people aren't going to sustain those. Like I try and stay away from diet sodas all the time, but if that was the only option, it's like, I'm going to drink it, but it's like, I, it's hard for me to even get through a can or a bottle of some of those things. Cause it's like, this isn't watermelon flavored. It, it's not. Yeah. And so it's really unique. So great job on that. Appreciate that. Yeah. One of my biggest struggles right now is that people think that Perfy is a sparkling water just today at the gym, the front desk people, when I check in, it's a picture of like Perfy cans instead of like my, my headshot or whatever they do at gyms. And they asked me like, is this your company? I was like, yeah, I just started a couple months ago. They're like, is it a sparkling water? And I'm like, no, it's not that. And, and the funny part is part of like my hypothesis when starting this up was people go from Coke to Diet Coke to the company you were talking about that I'll say LaCroix. And there's a big ass gap between going from a Diet Coke or a Coke Zero or whatever diet drink you drink and going to LaCroix. It's like there's so much missing from that experience. It's just a really highly like carbonated thing with natural flavors. And my goal was to bridge that gap with something that's decadent and indulgent that has all of the flavor, but has up to 90% less sugar than the traditional sodas that you'll find out there. And then we added like the, the functional ingredients for brain health. But that was the hypothesis was to bridge that gap. I love it. It's amazing. Let's transition over to metabolic disease. Right now, uh, you talk about this a lot on your, your accounts where, you know, one in three people in the United States right now is type two diabetic or pre-diabetic. And to be honest, like I, I'll be vulnerable. Over COVID, when I was talking about when I was drinking a bunch of those diet sodas, I didn't work out for like a year and a half, two years. And I got pre-diabetic. I, I had to treat it like a drug addiction where I checked myself into an executive level fitness camp in Carlsbad for five weeks. Didn't work. I went in, my fasting blood glucose was 128. And I was like, shit, I effed up, man. I kind of regret not doing anything for two years. And by the time I left after that five weeks, my fasting blood glucose in the morning was better than when I was in the best shape of my life. It was really cool. Like, yeah, I ate carbs there. I didn't eat much sugar. They opened my, my mind back up and got me into a 
you know, back in the, in the zone of things, but there's 80% of those people that are pre-diabetic where had I not gone to that camp, I could have assumed it, but I wouldn't have known. How do we slow that spread of, of this metabolic disease between obesity and diabetes? It's really more alarming than more people, I think, realize. In 2019, there were some reports that came out that said less than 12% of all Americans were metabolically healthy, right? And that was 2019. What Do you think in the last two years it's gotten better or worse? Like, it's absolutely gotten worse, right? With everything that went on. I mean, pe more people were staying inside. They're, the, people weren't eating salads and burgers without a bun over the last two years. So it's like, it probably at now is, is definitely less than 10%. And so you look at that and you say, how do we fix that? And I could sit here and talk mechanisms and all these things. But the reality is we need to go back to the core and we need to go back to somewhat of the basics of like focusing on whole foods is probably the most important thing. And obviously I'm a big proponent of low carb keto. I think it makes things a heck of a lot easier for people to make smarter decisions because you're cutting out a lot of the things that just would likely lead to overconsumption and high amounts of insulin and, and things like that, but it doesn't have to be. It can be even a Mediterranean approach that you're focusing primarily on whole foods. It's moving more, right? At minimum, we should be targeting 10,000 steps a day, all of us. If you can work in some form of high-intensity interval training or resistance training, amazing. I highly would recommend that sleeping, right? Sleep more. Most people sleep is trash. So like at least trying to focus on seven hours of quality sleep per night. And honestly, some form of stress management, like we all went through over the last two years, something that arguably will be the biggest stressor in our entire lives. And people are still dealing with that. And if you can't cope with that or find ways to healthily cope with that, it's going to lead to things like binging and, and coping with it with food. I am one of those people who, when I am severely stressed out, I don't do drugs or things like that. Like I cope with food, like food is my Same. drug and it's just, I continue, I will overeat. And so for me, I had to make an active effort to say, Hey, this is a very stressful moment. I don't know if I'm going to be able to hug my mom and dad in the next week or so and like be around family. That's stressful. And so I, I was coping with food and you need to really, really work on that. So a lot of it to answer your point is going back to the basics and saying, all right, what are my goals? What's my vision? I It's not beating myself about, up about what happened if I gained 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds over the last two years. It's like, here's where I am today. But like making the decision today to say, you know what? It's time to go backwards and backwards in a good way. I want to reverse this, me this metabolic disease. I want to reverse my aging. Like I want to get healthy and it takes a plan and, and a strategy to do so. I feel like the only resources to learn these sorts of things, like they seem like common sense, right? But it's not very common because the amount of people in the United States that are suffering from obesity or diabetes and type two diabetes to be specific, it is something that we bring upon ourselves. And for sure, like I've, I've dealt with it my whole life. I've been shredded. I've been big. I've been all, everywhere in between, but why is it so hard to come across information that you can trust? That's as simple as you just put it, because I, I agree full heartedly with that you hit the nail on the head, we're flooded with information, but starved for knowledge. That's the best way I can put it in, in that the reality is everyone is because social media has many great things, but social media has some downsides where it's everyone's an expert on social media now, right? It's you have people who don't deserve to be talking about nutrition, all of a sudden growing a huge following on TikTok, telling people that 
eating the grass out on your front lawn is the only thing you should be doing and people buy into it. And it's like, there's so much information that it's so hard to sift through the noise and say like, who do I trust? And my biggest thing for, for most people listening is like, I tell people just find your anchor. Like there's one person or a group of people and anchor to them and try and block out the rest of the noise because it's kind of like the shiny object syndrome. Like it's like, oh, I heard this person on TikTok say this. It's like you can get so distracted so easily. And when that happens, it usually hurts more than it helps. And so it doesn't matter who it is. I know there's a lot of people out there that are quacks and doing it. But like if you you can kind of sift through that, find someone in your sphere of no matter what, how you like to eat, exercise, nutrition, and like anchor to them. And you'll, you'll likely see the people that they hang around with, or at least talk about, listen to them. And if you're really looking for that guidance, follow that, take it in and learn it, but try and avoid the shiny object slash education because it can be so prevalent of the next shake or cleanse or diet. It's just, it's too much. Real quick. You were talking about different sweet, we're talking about sweeteners in the past. There's a, a woman that I've been listening a lot to lately. Her name's Marion Nestle. She has books called Food Politics and Soda Politics. And I've been obviously listening to Soda Politics quite a bit. And she just published a study. Do you remember those old sugar ads from like the 60s and 70s that were just like, sugar is your best source of energy. Give them to your yep. child in the morning. Give them ice cream at 10 a.m. If you just Google old sugar ads, you'll see some of the most obnoxious shit ever. She, she talks a lot about that stuff. And the same group that ran those ads in the 60s and 70s, they're under a new entity now. They rebranded. I think they got some flack for that. But they said that there is no correlation or they can't definitively say that it's the sugar and the added sugar that's, increase, that's increasing the rate of uh, obesity. They basically said people drank less soda over the past three years and people still got bigger. So because of that, it's not sugar. And I read it and I thought it was a, I thought it was like Saturday Night Live. I thought it was like a parody and it was real. It's insanity. And and it's like they'll, they'll spin the data and, and in most cases do their own or make up their own to make it fit the narrative that they want. But the reality is the data is overwhelmingly clear. And I was actually looking at some stuff this morning. Like if you look at how much circulating glucose there is in our body, give or take it at any one time, it's about it's about four grams. And like, think about four grams. It's less than a teaspoon. And like one soda, how many teaspoons are in that, right? 10, and you're 10, like, 11. yeah, you look at it and you're like, why would I need that much? And the reality is you don't. And you look at the studies, what's even more alarming for me, and I, I know it's a big cause for you as well, is that you look at these studies in animals. And unfortunately, you can't do them in humans. This would be super unethical. But like in animals, they'll take pregnant rats, they will give them high amounts of sugar. And the minute those babies will come out of the womb, they'll, they'll literally put them in an environment where they can have like regular drinking water or sweetened drinking water. And if the mom consumed a high amount of sugar while she was pregnant, the babies coming out of that are already predisposed to want the sweetened drinking water more than the regular tasting water. And it's like, you're putting kids at a disadvantage before they've even been introduced to the world by having tons of sugar. And we wonder why we're having the epidemic of child obesity. We can't even call type two diabetes, adult onset diabetes anymore because children are getting it. And it's like, that's the biggest, biggest obstacle that we face and it, and it shouldn't be happening. 100%. That's, I didn't even know about that study. I knew about the studies, you know, real quick, going back to those, those shady sixties uh, and seventies sugar ads, 
the interesting part about that is it was a decade after diet soda made it onto the scenes. I believe diet soda came out in 1952. So it was a full on marketing effort, similar to like the got milk campaign. It's no particular brand. It's the milk industry, the milk lobby and sugar has that same lobby. And it was basically an enormously expensive marketing campaign on their part for a decade or more. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and they got deep pockets. They, they will market and make sure that the narrative, the, the major narrative across the world is that exact narrative that you said. And it's up to people like us to help kind of sift through that noise and, and break through and say, Hey, wait a minute. Like it's not what they're saying. And there's a lot more to the story. I didn't plan on talking about this subject, but it, you've got me really, really intrigued right now. I want to ask it, but before I ask it, it probably will get very, very scientific. So let's try to keep it like, like dumbed down a little bit for me, but also for the audience. What is type three diabetes? We all know, kind of know what type two diabetes is, right? It's, it's when the cells are resistant to utilizing insulin, like insulin's not responding. It's imagine someone knocking on the door and have you ever had someone knock on your door at home and like, you don't hear it. And someone's like, Hey, I've been knocking for like 10 minutes. And, you and you're like, I didn't hear it. That's really what's going on in our body is, is our, our cells are becoming deaf, so to speak to the insulin knocking. And so what happens is you need another person knocking on the door and another person knocking on the door. And eventually you need so much insulin that they start giving it exogenously to try and overcome that, to pump more in, which I don't think is the right way to treat type two diabetes, but type three diabetes is that same principle, but for the brain, meaning that certain receptors, certain cells in your brain aren't responding to that knocking or aren't responding to insulin the same way. So it's hard for glucose because insulin kind of opens the door for glucose to come into the brain. So glucose isn't getting into the brain. And so the brain is starving for energy. And so people are, that's why we're seeing higher instances of, of Alzheimer's, high in, higher instance of just mild cognitive impairment. And I think a lot of that is attributed to this concept known as type three diabetes, which is really just insulin resistance in the brain. This is completely off the cuff. Is there a way for that to impact it immediately? Because have you heard of like carb crashes and people not being able to think clearly when they eat a lot of carbs or maybe they go low carb for a while and then they crush like a hundred grams of carbs in one sitting. Is there a way for that like scientifically to happen immediately? So most of those of what you're talking about are probably due to people going severely hypoglycemic. Um, so they're probably getting this enormous spike in their glucose. And then it's dropping so much because the insulin's coming in and dropping their glucose. But typically the mild cognitive impairment happens slowly over time, which is even scarier. It's the silent killer, so to speak. And it's like, by the time it's actually diagnosed as mild cognitive impairment, there's four, there's four ish levels, mild cognitive impairments, number three. And then number four is like the Alzheimer's and then ultimately dement severe Alzheimer's and dementia. But like, people are like, Oh, I'm starting to forget my keys. Like occasionally, like once in a while, like, yeah, we all, we all do that. But like, if that's happening more and more, like it's probably a problem. And it's something that you probably want to get looked at and be like, hey, I might need to dial in because we all can see like, oh, when you break an arm or you, you break one of your fingers or your toes, like it's, it's like, all right, cool. I know what to do. I fix it. But like a lot of people's brains are slowly breaking because they're starving for energy and it just gradually happens over time. And we, we kind of hide it underneath this umbrella of, oh, I'm just getting older. That shouldn't be the case. There are people who are a hundred years old and very, very, very sharp. So 
aging is not the explanation for that. We can certainly reverse aging and we should be doing that, but it's a lot of it underlies is, is what is your metabolic health. What are some things that people can do like to help now, if, if, even if they don't know, like maybe they forget their keys, like you said, a few times more than usual. What if they're, you know, is there something that they can do to, to help that out? Is it, is it the exogenous ketones? Is it other things that they can do? Things that lower inflammation and provide an alternative source of fuel are probably going to be your two best strategies. So high dose fish oil, uh, high dose omega-3s, lowering out a lot of these inflammatory oils that most people are cooking or, or eating high amounts of, going on a walk. There are studies showing that just walking can improve mild cognitive impairment. Obviously, a big fan of low-carb ketogenic diets has shown tremendous promise. And then this is an area where we're actively studying exogenous ketones um, because, again, you're utilizing a different tunnel, so to speak. So if that tunnel that utilizes insulin and glucose is kind of blocked up and there's a lot of junk going on, there are other tunnels. And those tunnels take up and utilize ketones. We just need to be able to provide it to the body. And so periods of intermittent fasting, ketogenic diet, and exogenous ketones are definitely strategies as well. I've got one that, that just popped up. So this is a very interesting thing, and I'll call out the retailer. Whole Foods Market does not allow allulose, but they allow canola oil and seed oils. What do you think the logic is? Honestly, I think it's just a lack of education. I think there's a lack of understanding what allulose is. That actually surprised me. I did not know that. Allulose is arguably one of the best sweeteners that exists on the market. I know it's new to the game, but like we've done a ton of research on it. It's a natural alternative to it really, quote unquote, on paper, it actually is a rare sugar. And I know that might scare people, but it's a rare sugar and that it doesn't get processed in the body the same way other sugars do. But there's no data indicating that, at least that I've seen, that it would have any negative effect, short-term, long-term, medium-term. And if anything, there's data showing the opposite. It actually has health benefits within itself of just being a sweetener. So that is uh, super perplexing to me. I didn't know that. There's a lot of people um, that I've spoke with, you know, Patrick Shriver, he has mosh foods and it's you know, a protein bar for your brain and he uses allulose. Wonder Monday, my friend Damien from uh, F and Good Snacks, he makes keto cookies for nighttime. And all of us are just like, what do we even do? How is it cool for X, Y, and Z ingredients to be in, in whole foods? But allulose can't. And I have 100%. I even, there's a tweet of mine if we, need, if we need to check receipts where I said it's a lack of education on their part. But the problem with, with brands that are challenger brands is budget. We have a certain amount of dollars to educate a epic retailer like Whole Foods, whereas the brands that are using all of these cheap ingredients, you know, they might have more dollars to play with. Obviously, they started somewhere and maybe didn't have it to begin with. But the problem with people trying to solve fundamental problems with food and beverage is we take those risks. My, my bet was that by the end of 2023, Whole Foods will change their stance. And if they don't, my, my goal is literally to do some stunt marketing, like creating a, a allulose alliance with people and, and running like a, a change.org campaign to get it there. You know, it's ridiculous to me. Honestly, that would be super smart. And it's sad to me. And I would, I would love to talk with someone from Whole Foods if that's their stance. Like, It's sad to me because it really just is. And I hope it's not 
I don't think it would be something they're doing on purpose. It's just like, it really just stemmed from a lack of education. It's probably so new. They don't have anyone that's high level scientific to dive into it, to be like, Hey, let me do a full white paper on allulose to look at its origin, what it does in the body. What are the studies on it? What are the benefits? Like they would look at that and be like, that is amazing. Like it would, it would absolutely fit the whole foods profile and support a lot of better for you products that they realistically should be having in their portfolio. I got one last question and it's, it's still on Oculus. There's another retailer that denied perfect twice. They didn't say why it was just an automated email. And my guess is that it's because of the allulose, because there was a specific question in the application that said, do you use allulose? If so, what's the source? And before I get to, I use Tate and Lyle, like everyone, pretty much everyone does. And I believe their source is from corn, but it's from non-GMO corn. And you have the paperwork that says it's non-GMO. That's that's like the conspiracy there is me trying to get down to why did I get denied twice? The, the funny part about it is that same retailer uses allulose in their smoothie and juice bar. So if you buy juices, you'll see that it's sweetened with allulose. It's like, interesting. Why, why would this be the case? Is there any difference in allulose? No, there shouldn't be. It's interesting to me that people are so hung up on the the non-GMO corn thing, it's super, super interesting to me because it's the same concept comes with soluble corn fiber, right? People yeah. still have that same assumption and they they just have this picture in their head of all this crops and all, the, all this corn that these things are getting extracted from. And it's a very... It's not, it's not how it works. It's disillusional. And it, it really is interesting to me that people aren't researching allulose as much as they should be because like you said, like it's, it's completely different than what you see a lot of these other things that have a high amount of not of, of G it come from genetically modified corn and all these different things. But allulose is very, very, very different. And I, I truly think it's going to be one of those stepwise things that the more and more it gets utilized in products, the more and more people become educated on it, the more and more human studies we see on allulose, the more people are going to be like, oh, wow, yeah, this is actually something that's really good. The problem is it always is, it's too late. Like we knew this years ago, it was being utilized in some bars three, four years ago. And it's like, all right, well, at what point are we too late to the game? And it's like, guys, open up your eyes dive into the research. The science is there. Yeah. It's, it's wild. I mean, one of my biggest dreams with Perfy is, is two of them. And they, and this isn't like the brand's mission, but it's like, if this happened, this would be wild. And one of them's probably nearly impossible, but there's two dreams for high fructose corn syrup to be replaced with allulose. And if, if people and brands really have missions to help fix some of this metabolic disease help. I mean, it'd make the world a better place. I'm not sure about the economics of it. Obviously, high fructose corn syrup is extremely cheap and there's a lot of powerful people behind pushing that ingredient. But how much healthier would this world be? And this is a rhetorical question. You don't, you don't have to answer. How much healthier would the world be if high fructose corn syrup was replaced with allulose? It's just, it's kind of like that simple to me. And it's, it would be a dream of mine to one, make that happen. And two, have high fructose corn syrup banned or at least like place restrictions on like tobacco. You know, I would love to see that exact same thing. And I think um, there was a huge thing that came out, I think about a year, two years ago, and Hershey's actually made a huge investment in, in a company that's trying to make allulose higher 
more manufacturers to be able to afford that lower price point, right? It's like, there's only a couple of manufacturers who are able to produce allulose. It's it's expensive to make. It's way more expensive than sugar, way more expensive than high fructose corn syrup. But if we can ultimately, and it's not going to be next month, it's probably not going to be next year, or even the year after. But if slowly we can work towards a world in which allulose is somewhat comparable to the cost of of some of these high fructose corn syrups or or things like that, the world undoubtedly would be better off because of it. I don't see why some brands don't work towards that answer. It's like Elon's trying to go to the moon and Mars or all that, all of those things. Why isn't somebody out there in the food and beverage world like an Elon that has the power and the bank to do it, say, hey, this is this is the new mission and and we need to move towards it by 2030. I'd love that. I, I support that. If someone were to do that, I'd, I'd be right behind them. That's that's amazing. All right, Ryan. Well, we gotta we gotta wrap this up. Um, let's let everyone know where to find you on socials. And before before we do that, I just want to say thank you. Now, this has been an absolute blast chatting with you. Thanks, brother. It's been it's been an honor. I love your mission and love Perfy and everything that you guys are doing. So it's it's incredible, incredible opportunity and and a pleasure of mine. If you want to follow me on social or tap into anything, it's at Ryan R Y A N P Lowry L O W E R Y, Doctor Ryan Lowry on Facebook, and then anything keto related, it's at ketogenic.com or ketogenic.com is where we put out a lot of just free content. Thanks so much and. You'll be hearing more from me and Ryan with Perfy's Cognitive Council in the coming months. We're excited about that. I love it, man. I'm super excited. Thank you so much.